0: Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use, as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one-month free trial just for motherbirth listeners.
1: We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts. Laura, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome
0: to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hi, everybody. Laura and I are here today. We are interviewing a special guest from here in Portland, so she and I are in the studio together. We've got Echo Zelensky here and Echo is um, also a birth worker and does some really cool things in the birth community and has some, some special birth
2: stories that she's going to share
0: with us today. So Echo, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm 34 years old. I have been married for 14 years. Okay. So do the math. Got married very young. Yeah. I have three children, uh, almost nine-year-old an almost six-year-old and a 14-month-old. And I also have been attending births since 2006 and help run a nonprofit, which is a nonprofit birth center in Haiti.
0: And what, tell us a little bit more about that birth center. How did you come into that work?
2: Yeah. So way before I had my babies, I worked at Andalus Water Birth Center here in Portland. Okay. On staff? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. I worked there for three and a half years, um, running um, the Tualatin Birth Center before they opened the Portland one. Okay, And so when I worked there, um, Jennifer, the owner, and I became very close, and she attended all my births as well. And she um, started the birth center in Haiti right after the 2010 earthquake. Mm-hmm. So she started it. That was my connection. I had other Haiti connections and had gone down there before. But um, when I went down in 2014 with her nonprofit, um, I just fell in love with what they were doing. And it was just helping in such a tangible way and different than what a lot of people do mm-hmm. in um, a foreign country, and especially a developing country. Yeah. Usually it's, oh, let's feed the children. Let's, you know, care yeah. for them. And um, this was focused solely on let's lower the infant and maternal mortality rate and mm-hmm. let's save these mamas and babies who are dying from things that they should not die for them from. Yeah. So I went down there and I came back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do you need? And so... From then on, I've just helped run it from here because we're all um, there's three of us that help run it, and we're all here, and it's ran solely by Haitian midwives, so Haitians serving Haitians, and it's just a really beautiful model of care.
0: Yeah, so you have more of a administrative or like directive role, and mm-hmm. then the people on the ground are actually obviously attending the births. How, mm-hmm. how what are how are decisions made in terms of like, de, you know, um, decisions for women? Like, what what kind of birth options do they have access to? Like, how do, how do you guys yeah manage that part of it.
2: Yeah. Haiti's very different. There are no birth options. You either birth Mm -hmm. at home on a dirt floor, or you pay a lot of money to go in a hospital, which is really just a room with a ton of beds and no privacy, no personal care. Or you come to us, which is such a cool option because you come and you get that midwife model of care where you're actually spoken to, told what's happening throughout your pregnancy, what, what's going on with your birth, and you're just treated really, really kindly. Um, there's another pr- nonprofit um, called Midwives for Haiti that mm-hmm. trains a lot mm-hmm. of the midwives. And then that's then they come to us. So they graduate from midwifery school and they okay. come to us. We've also started our own midwifery school last fall. Um, but for the most part, up until that point, and our stu- ours are still students, so they're not the ones attending births yet. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's teaching Haitians to serve their own people too, instead of having the um Americans come in and save the day model of
1: right, yeah, I wanted like what work. is the mix of Haitian midwives versus american trained midwives
2: yep, we have um it varies between three to five Haitian midwives on staff at all times, um some of them rotate as they have babies and or a lot of them actually all of them live away from their families, so their family mm-hmm. will live in another part of the country, and so they'll um they'll be at Arbor Center, which is like in the northern region, and then they will um. They live at the birth center mm. and then okay. we'll travel home. So it kind of rotates. So as someone has a baby or as if they decide, oh, I I can get a job closer to my husband then they move and, mm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they're always there. And then we have volunteers that come in. But they come in as a completely different position where they have to – we want them to learn from the Haitian midwives. We want them to respect mm-hmm. that model of care, learn from them, Um and not come in and try to teach a better way. Mm-hmm. Because what yes. one thing we've really learned in Haiti is that you could tell them a million different ways to do things. And they're still going to go back to the, the, what they know and what they want to do. Yeah, And so it's always, mm-hmm. they do things harder, for sure. There's a lot of easier ways that it could be done. But um, yeah. to come in there and just want to learn from their culture and respect their culture and the way they do things is is what we really tell our volunteers ahead of time.
0: Yeah. So, Have you yeah. been able to be on the ground and attend a the birth there mm-hmm. with... With one of those
2: midwives. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, these mamas are giving birth on IKEA beds. Yeah. (laughs) Like the the cheap IKEA beds, like the um, (laughs) $29.99 ones and really flimsy mattresses. And some of them are raised up on cinder blocks. And I mean, it is just interesting. Yeah. Um, And what surprises me most about Haitian women in labor is that you'd never know they're uncomfortable. Really? They Mm. come in there. I mean, some of them will walk two hours in labor and they walk in and you're just like, you'll see them and you're like, are they, are they not? And then 30 minutes later, they're pushing out a baby. Wow. And I think it's because they have, they know what it means to really suffer and be in pain. And here we're like, Mm. Oh, I stubbed my toe. Ouch. You know? Oh, this hurts. And I think that's why American women have a hard time is because we really don't allow ourselves to feel anything. Mm. We medicate everything. Like if I'm sad, I'm going to medicate myself. If I'm You know, if I hurt myself, oh, let's take it—you know—a Tylenol, and they they don't do that there. Yeah, it's amazing. And Mm -hmm. then they just—they let themselves feel it and really like let their bodies react to whatever they're feeling, and you don't—it manifests in a completely different way. I mean, you'll definitely get some vocal moms, but not nearly as intense as here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting Mm -hmm. to think just how—you know—we we we often talk on the show and certainly like in—you know—in the birth world about like the difference between pain and suffering, and I think Mm -hmm. that's such a such an important distinction and, and one that can get a little muddy in our culture, because like you said, we're, we're so unaccustomed to experiencing pain. Um, And, and I, you know, I'm, we also firmly believe that, that women should have, you know, should have the access to, you know, to pain relief and to whatever that they want and, and is going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, But I do think that there's, there is this component where we, we, we really like removed ourselves from that, Familiarity with discomfort or with you know even the uncertainty of something, I think sometimes it's it's just the uncertainty that we're that we're so unfamiliar with, yeah you know we don't we don't like feeling out of control, we don't like feeling like we don't know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how it's going to unfold and I think that I've seen that play out in my own births that have all been different from each other i've you know I've certainly heard that echoed in you know in the in the experiences of, you know, the women that we talked to on this show, the, um, you know, my friends and and clients that have had babies, I think that we're just so uncomfortable
1: with that uncertainty, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think about that just from, you know, a life, lifestyle perspective. So I, I totally agree with you echo in the sense of, I feel like taking care of women who've come from a place of physical pain, but also maybe what we would call like emotional pain or suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, but even, you know, Way back when Grantly Dick Reed wrote about this in Childbirth Without Fear and he said, birth is easier for the fisherwoman than for the secretary, yeah, and it's like, yes, and that makes sense because mm-hmm. her work is physical, yeah, definitely. Her work and the fisherwoman is going to find herself hungry and tired at the end of the day and like yeah. splitting herself in his responsibilities and and not to say that we aren't, that women are not capable physically and mentally and emotionally kind of preparing for birth. But I think that maybe what you're saying, you know, maybe I hear what you're saying, just the spirit of it is so different because women expect that experience. They expect like, I will be uncomfortable, but I, I will be okay. and This yeah. is just labor.
2: Yeah. And when you're not yeah. offered an alternative, sure. That's all you have. Sure. Right. So they don't go sure. into it being like, Oh my gosh, I can't get through this or give me something. Because they just, mm-hmm. there is no alternative. I yeah. mean, it costs $200 yeah. for a woman to have a C-section in Haiti. Mm. And women die all the time because they can't afford it.
0: Right.
2: And so, I mean, there is no, let's get an epidural by no means. I mean, the only right. intervention really is a cesarean and an emergent, and an emergency. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just a completely different model of care. And ours isn't bad. Ours is glorious, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. those women would love mm-hmm. an option. Sure. Sure. <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah. I, I saw this really... Um, fascinating article that someone posted on Facebook just today. And it's about how, you know, during the twilight birth, Mm. um, era that, you know, we look back on that and think, oh my gosh, like those women were just sedated against their will. And, you know, those doctors were just like these horrific monsters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we obviously have, you know, such a different perspective on birth, even, even with all the options that women have now, we look back on that and think, you know, how, how uncivilized, right. But this article is about how you know feminists at that time were actually in in their fight for you know women to have options and to have access to you know to pain relief, which at that time looked like that you know that was that was them fighting for women to to have rights and to have these you know to not be with left without choices and so I thought that in and of itself was interesting, you know it just regardless of my you know, my view, it doesn't change how I feel about Twilight Birth, but just yeah. the other angle on it. But then someone made a comment, um, in the, um, on the post and said that, you know, ma- basically that, you know, they're, they're glad those, mid- that those feminists fought for, for that right for women, which, which I certainly agree with, but then that, you know, nowadays we have epidurals, which, you know, takes away the pain, but doesn't take away the memories. And then in parentheses was sadly. And I just sat there and I was like, I actually, am, and, and this is maybe premature because she hasn't commented back, but I actually commented on it and said, can you just explain what you mean by memories? Beca- like what memories are you talking about? Because even, even the women that I know that go into labor knowing that they want pain relief, you know, most of those people, even in a stressful circumstance don't want to be like just dis- in a disassociative state where they don't even remember childbirth. Like mm-hmm. that's not really the the typical experience that I see moms who even want pain relief. I don't Most see them, them coming want to be present and just
2: have the edge taken off.
0: Right. And so yeah. I was really, I was really surprised by that comment, which, you know, again, I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I'm like, I have to understand more <laughs> what she means. And, and she may mean
2: something completely different yeah. than, than I took it as. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it I was, almost feel like she might've meant her, your body has a memory. Like you're, they say, you know, yeah. your body can feel that pain. Oh, sure. You know, you're put out and, Sure, and maybe that's what she meant I don't know. yeah i it just it
0: i just thought of it you know in in the context of of what we're talking about, which is you know the um you know the the, the re- yeah the yeah. option and also just the relationship that we have to to our to you know the painful or more more difficult experiences in our life and how they shape us and yeah. and you know whether we're whether we're cognizant of that or not um you know I feel like even even like you know, even when we talk about, you know, it's, it's so common in, in among women to, you know, kind of share or swap, you know, birth horror stories, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and I, I feel like even in doing that, um, which can, which can, you know, be taken too far, but even in doing that, I feel like women are, you know, there's, there's this, I, I don't know that many women that would actually say like, I would give anything to have not had that happen. There's this sense of you know, this rite of passage or this, mm-hmm. the, you know, the beauty that comes with that pain or, you know, even, even when things were, you know, really hairy, it just this sense of like, that was how my, that was how my child came to me, you know, yeah, and we, and we kind sure. of were able to embrace that for, for whatever reason, because we sense, we sense how deep of an experience it is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that was a bit of a rabbit trail or rabbit <laughs> hole, but <laughs> So maybe let's, um, let's hear a little bit about your birth experiences. I know you've had really positive ones. So, we, we, you know, on the show, we sometimes, like we just said, it sometimes might feel like a horror story swap, but we'd love to,
2: to share, you know, some, some other kinds of experiences too. Yeah. So I have, I've had three babies. Um, all three of them were born at home Mm -hmm. in different homes (laughs) (laughs) because that's just what we do. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I can just start with my first one. Yeah. Um, I was working at the yeah. water birth center at the time, so I was surrounded and inundated with pregnant women and birth and pregnancy. And so it was a really fun place to be pregnant. Um, and really nice, um, during those tired times, I would go on my lunch break and crawl into one of the birth rooms into nice. the queen size bed and just tuck myself in and take a nap. It was, it was a really great place <laughs> to be pregnant. Yeah. And I just, I had zero fear going into pregnancy. So it was just a really Mm -hmm. great time of just trusting the process. Um, I mean, I think it helped that most. I think it's probably different if you are, say, a nurse. And I'm sure, um, Laura, you can attest to that, that being Mm -hmm. a nurse and pregnant on shift, you're still seeing a lot of interesting things happen and different things happen where I just saw low risk, normal pregnant women. Yeah. That's who Mm -hmm. came in. They had all their prenatal care and then they left with babies. And I'm like, oh this is great. Yeah, That's what I'm going to do. And so I really went into it with no fear and just trusting my body and just saying, this is just going to work out perfect. And, um, mm. around 36 weeks, I got, um, a lot of signs of preeclampsia. Mm. And so then I was like, Oh no, like, what am I going to do? I don't want to change my plans. And so we kind of just watched my levels and, I signed a piece of paper saying I will refuse to switch care, um, which I was like, I hope that's the right decision. But I really felt in my gut that everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And then as long as we kept checking my levels and whatnot and blood pressure and everything that it was going to be okay. And it was then at 37 weeks that I started doing things to try to encourage baby out. Because yeah. I'm like, I don't know if my body can mm-hmm. hold on for a month and I really don't want to transfer care. So I started doing. Um, acupuncture and a few other things at 37 weeks and I went into labor at 38 weeks in two days which Mm -hmm. is quite early for a first baby yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and for my birth it was it was just it was great I mean my first birth was seven hours from start to finish wow um it was a little tricky there for a minute, though, because I was complete after three hours. <laughs> mm. oh. <laughs> so, so really fast labor. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. Uh, from the time my water breaks, that's the onset of my first two labors is my water breaks. And so my water broke. And I remember being like, my sister had had a baby a year prior to me and she went 24 hours without a contraction mm-hmm. from her, the time her water broke. So I was like, all right, well, this... Could take a while. So um I'd woken up my husband and I was like, All right, my water broke and he's like, Okay, what do I do? And I was like, Nothing. <laughs> go back to bed. It was <laughs> three in the morning. So I'm like, go back to bed. And I had um texted my midwife and my sister, who was gonna drive down from Seattle, and I was like, All right. And my midwife was like, I'm gonna come. And I was like, No, I don't want you here in my house for hours. That's just gonna put pressure on. And she's like, No, I wanna come. And so I crawled into my bathtub. Um, because I was leaking a lot of fluids and it was just messy. So I was like, I'll just sit in my bathtub and then the contractions came after thirty minutes. Mm. And my first contraction happened and two minutes later I had another contraction and two minutes later I was like, Oh man. Yeah. I didn't expect that. I expected, you yeah. know, oh my water will break, yes. you know, if it were to happen like that and you know, I'd get the every fifteen minutes or you know, I'd get um I'd get to ease into it and I didn't. Yeah. So I had um three hours of completely I mean I can't even remember those three hours I remember mm-hmm. them helping me out of the bathtub into the birth tub and that's it in that three-hour time because I was just gone mm, um, yeah. and then all of a sudden I like came to it was almost like I woke up and I was like oh my gosh what's happening and my mid- midwife was like do you want me to check you and I was like no I was like what if I'm at two and she was like you're not at two <laughs> and I'm like okay <laughs> so she checked me and she was like push your baby out and I was like sweet wow and then I didn't have a contraction <laughs> And then, mm. after 15 minutes, I finally had one, and then I didn't have another one, and that, for four hours.
0: Wow! So you got that wow. break, but like, you know, it's usually like 30 minutes, and yeah. you had it for a long time. Oh yeah, no, wow.
2: I sat there with zero urge to push for three for no four hours. Wow! Yeah, so um, I dilated really quick, and then my baby just kind of hung out there. I mean, you could she had hair; you could see her hair for four hours. Wow! And wow. it's one of those things though that I'm like, gosh if I would have been in the hospital, they would have for sure given me a C-section. Yeah. I, have no were, du- I have no doubt that they would have.
0: Were you trying to push during
2: that time? No. No. Because I had zero just urge. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd get a contraction and I was just like, and plus it was my first. And so I was kind of waiting for that urge to push and mm-hmm. I had to attend the births and whatnot. And I was like, gosh, and I had asked my midwife, I'm like, should I push? And she's like, if you don't feel like you need to push at all, don't. And, I, and you know, that's the difference. If I would have been in a hospital, it would have been more direct to pushing. So maybe okay. she would have come out a lot quicker. It had just been yeah. very hard work. But, no. I mean, if your body doesn't want to contract.
0: Well, and it's not like you've been in labor for 48 hours and yeah. you're exhausted or, yeah. you know, things are starting to get, yeah. you know, a little dicey. It's like there's no reason you can't just hang out.
2: Yeah, so... Every 15 minutes, I'd have a contraction and then I'd fall into the deepest sleep in between and have vivid dreams. And then I would be woken out of it and have a contraction. And um, everyone said that I'd fall asleep and I'd just, (laughs) I'd be um, touching her hair and just kind of just feeling her. And then I'd stop and just kind of like my motivation, like, okay, she's right there. And then eventually it just like my body kicked in and was like, all right, let's get this Mm -hmm. out. And so I remember getting up on the tub, kind of like leaning over and push twice and she came out. Wow. Yeah. And wow. it turns out she was, um, her head was asynclitic with a nuchal hand. So her little mm-hmm. hand was up and just her head was in just enough position that she didn't want to come out. Yeah. But, um, but two
0: pushes. I mean, yeah, it sounds like she was just waiting for the right.
2: Yeah. Which yeah. I'm just really thankful. I was able to be in a place where I could have that and not felt, yes. I mean, it could have gotten really intense. I never once was scared. My husband wasn't scared. No one, it was just calm.
0: Mm-hmm. No
2: one seemed worried. And if they were, they didn't let onto it. Right. So it was just really nice. I feel very fortunate that even with kind of a, a lengthy pushing stage that I was given the opportunity to just, as long as me and baby are okay, we're just going to sit here and we're going to labor watch you. Yeah. And my midwife knitted in the corner for four hours, you know?
0: Yeah. During, during that time were your contractions intense, I know they were very infrequent, but were they intense or were they kind of mellowed out as well?
2: They're very manageable. Yeah. Like, I'd have to focus, and that's about it. Um, yeah. During my initial dilating contractions, I was very vocal and just gone. Mm-hmm. My memory is like, mm-hmm. it was like I had a twilight birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it. Yeah. But, that, I mean, it just, yeah. you don't dilate for your first birth, at least, I think, in three hours without having it be quite intense. Pretty intense. intense. Yeah. 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 For sure.
0: Yeah, yeah that sounds, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember after my first birth, which was really, really long, like, really envying women with short... In, with really short births. And I know better now just because I, I know a lot more and I've, you know, (laughs) heard many more stories and, and, you know, been at other births that have been a lot shorter. And I, you know, I think it can be very, very intense.
2: Wait till you hear my second story then. It's the (laughs) anomaly, it's the crazy anomaly of the short birth stories. Yeah. So that was my first baby, super straightforward, you know, kind of a lengthy pushing stage, but very, very, very easy for a first birth, I would say. Yeah. And then I had my second and I can, I can fully hundred percent say I had a pain-free labor. Wow. Yeah. She came in 60 minutes and I had probably 10 contractions and they were, I mean, I have a video of it. I talk through them. I'm like talking and I breathe through like two of them and that's it. Wow.
1: Did the midwife make it?
2: She did. She, um, I was living in a tiny apartment in Northwest Portland And she lived, like, four blocks over. And so... Same uh, midwife? um, Jennifer didn't make it because Jennifer lives out in Dundee. And so my other midwife, Adele, who lived in Northwest... Jennifer made it at, like, 11 p.m. She was, like, three hours late. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, for that one, same thing. My water broke. And this time I had a -a two-and-a-half-year-old with me. And so I was like, okay. And she looked at me like, mama, she thought I peed myself. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to have a baby. And so... Um, I just remember running upstairs and calling, calling my husband home. Cause he was gone actually. And I was like, okay, come home. And he get, got home 30 minutes later. Um, I should say that the birth was 60 minutes from the first contraction to the time she was born. There was a 30 minute window between, of no contractions. So mm-hmm. from the time my water broke to my first contraction was 30 minutes. And that's when he was driving home and I had nothing. So from the f- time my first contraction happened, um, we started, we never did a dry run at this apartment for, um, filling up my birth tub, yeah. which is not the best idea, especially with old pipes and faucets. So right. we had tried to fill up the tub and it wasn't going to work. It, um, started leaking from the faucet and it, it was, it was real clear that I was like, Oh, well, no birth tub. Mm. And so, you know, in Were my you mind, disappointed. I was, but I didn't know how short it was going to be. I think if I would have been laboring for a long time, it would have been really hard to do it in a bathtub yeah. because it was narrow and shallow and uncomfortable. Yeah, you can't really you, move. Mm-hmm. So you, I had a faucet in, poking into my back, and it just wasn't ideal. Um, so I remember being like, okay, well, if that's not going to work, this is where it's going to happen. Or, you know, if I need a change of scenery, I'll climb onto my bed. But I was really, really wanting to stay in the water for multiple reasons. Um, and so I was just kind of hanging out there and put on my playlist and I told my husband to try to put, put our daughter to bed because it was um, like 7.30, no, no, it was like 8.15 when my contractions started. And so I was like, hey, go put her to bed because um, this could be a long night and um he was like, okay, I'll try. And so he went and laid down with her and she was like, nope. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she knew. She's too yeah. wired. Yeah. yeah, She knew. And so she came right back in and she was talking to me and hanging out. And I remember my midwife being in the other room, setting up um, equipment in there, even though we knew that I wasn't going to birth and where the tub was, but she was setting up equipment. And I remember saying to her, um, I can feel her head. And she was like, oh yeah, I'm sure you can. Mm-hmm. And I was right. like, and she's like how far? And I was like, well, I put, she's like a fingertip in. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, And this was um, at nine o'clock. She arrived at my house at nine o'clock and the baby was born at 917. And so this is probably when we're having this conversation is like five minutes before she was born. And she's like, but you're not feeling the urge to push or anything. I'm like, nope. And then the next contraction happened and I was like, yep. And one contraction later, her head was out and it was like, I finally understood what it meant to not have to push. Yeah. I was like, that baby popped out of me and I did nothing. I did not. It was very involuntary. I had no control over it. And it was really not painful. Like, were the contractions painful? No. No. There was... I would have thought... If I didn't know how it ended, I would have thought I was in very early labor.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was... I had to breathe through, like, two of them. And that's it. And she... She just popped right out. Her head hung out there for a bit, and then the next contraction, contraction, her body came out. And I remember just being in shock. And the first thing I said was, "What time is it?" <laughs> and I was like, "That was the shortest labor ever."
0: Yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah,
2: I think my first contraction happened at nine or no eight nineteen, and she was born at nine seventeen.
1: I wow. get so curious uh, in my midwife mind about this. We talked to another guest recently who had a similar experience, and I'm always like, yeah. "Were you just like six? Were you just like walking around?" I know and, like, that is, but I'm, that's or, what like, I'm about to say. Like, or is it just just the total yeah. experience happened that quickly? It's so interesting how some people's body responds to that natural oxytocin. It's like,
2: oh, totally. I had a prenatal appointment time. earlier yeah. that day, and I remember my midwife being like, "Do you want me to check you?" And I was like, "No." I was like I could be a, I could be completely closed and have the baby tonight or I could be a four and have her in 2 weeks. Yeah. And so I was like nope. And then after she was born I was like I really wish you would have checked me. Just
0: for just yes. for research, I know. just for Come research on. because because it's so true. I mean and and it, there you know we've all been at births where a very very relaxed, calm, peaceful woman still takes a long time oh, yeah. to dilate. And so like what is the difference? Like how do you go from zero to 10 in 20 minutes? Or like Lara said, were you at six for yeah. two weeks? And how are you, how does that happen without like
2: any sensation of that having yeah. occurred? And I didn't even, even have contract I didn't have Braxton Hicks. I didn't have, you know, yeah. days of warm-up contractions or anything leading up to it. That was my very first contraction during that whole pregnancy that I could yeah. feel.
0: Yeah, because that's like like, you know. You would you would expect something like that of someone with maybe an incompetent cervix or something like it just doesn't even <laughs> yeah it just doesn't even compute to
2: me <laughs> yeah no it it it's pretty wild yeah yeah wow and we ended up naming her Poppy which um was quite fitting with her birth and <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so how's your husband in these circumstances is, is he, he takes pretty
2: a very um, sit in the corner role okay um mm-hmm. I'm a very he, I'm, well, first of all, I was a very internal birther. Like, I didn't need anything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need, which is strange because attending birth as a doula, you're used to, you know, well, depending on, yeah. on the woman. But, yeah. you know, it's not uncommon to at some point need to offer some physical support. And right. so um, I went into it thinking, oh, I might, which is why um, my sister was going to be there to to offer that support to me. And I had my midwives who I knew would offer it as well. And he was just kind of throughout my whole pregnancy and everything. He never questioned, um, having a home birth, even for the first, he was just like, you know, more than I do. Mm. And so when it came to birth, he just kind of sits in the corner and observes. Mm. And after the fact, he, after the first one, he was like, that scared me. Mm. Just, um, yeah, he was overwhelmed by it. I think how quickly it was happening and you know, how primal I got, um during those few hours of contractions and he's just like I didn't know if you were okay and you know it was the first birth he'd ever attended he wasn't I tried to get him to watch some videos and he was like no 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 (laughs) not gonna happen so it was the very first experience whatsoever of birth or even knowing what a birth entailed for him um but yeah he is just really supportive but doesn't do much yeah yeah sits yeah sits in the corner
0: and it sounds like (laughs) That you don't need him to. No, you know it's no. not like if
2: I needed him to, I would say I would have yeah. said something too. But I yeah. love the fact that he just kind of trusts me, mm-hmm. and that yeah. if I need something, I'd speak up, and he just hangs out.
0: So at your second birth your daughter was there was mm-hmm. that something obviously you're having a home birth so that's in fa- and, and she's young so that's a fairly likely yeah situation but did you guys discuss it were you unsure if you did want her there were you always sure that you did
2: Yeah I don't really have um much family in, time, in town okay. at the time my mom did live nearby but it wasn't a big deal to me I was like of course she'll be here um when I went into labor you know in the evening I was like well it would be nice if she could get some sleep and so that was my reason for him wanting to put her down in that early parts, but I always envisioned her being there, yeah. and it's real fun because, you know, she watched her sister be born, and she watched me breathe through the contraction, the the couple I had, and I remember her being like, "Oh no, what's wrong?" Mm, she noticed she noticed some yeah. a shift. And it was really sweet, though, how -hmm. intuitive she was to be like, what's wrong? And I remember her, I mean, a lot of these memories are because I have little snippet videos of them. And so her trying to drink, drink, took a little Dixie cup of water from the, um, the birth tub and my midwife being like, no, no, no,
1: (laughs) you don't (laughs) want that water. Yeah. Yeah, You
2: don't want that water. (laughs) Um, and then as soon as her baby sister was born and the baby cried, she got scared. Mm. That was intense for her. The first cry. And, but instead of taking her out of the room, she just climbed in the tub with me. Mm. And so she just, I have the most amazing photos of her just sitting there in a pink tutu in the tub with us, touching her baby sister. And yeah, it was pretty precious. Yeah. 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 And we'll be getting some of those photos to share with this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's almost nine and she remembers it and we talk about it. And Yeah. Interesting that that,
0: I assume that you'll tell us also that she was at your third birth but interesting mm-hmm. that that will be her, you know, memory yeah. that she takes into adulthood yeah. of what birth is like, which I think mm-hmm. is awesome and also definitely rare. You know, it'll be interesting to see how she, like, orients herself to to her own experiences yeah. of birth as a result of that. I'm curious, before we talk about, you know, your, your next birth, you mentioned, you know, even when you were pregnant with your first, and I know that that was – very much influenced by the, you know, the culture and the environment that you were in Mm at the birth center and, you know, just the people in your life at that time. But I'm curious kind of before that stage of your life or before getting into birth work in any way, kind of what the messages or ideas about birth that you came up with in terms of, you know, maybe your mother's experiences or, um, you know, in adolescence, like the different things that you were exposed to, how how did you feel about birth? coming into adulthood and coming into like your childbearing years?
2: Yeah. um, My mom never talked about it much. And so it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I had this great, um, it wasn't a bad influence, but it wasn't this, you know, mother who was like, oh, trust birth, trust your body. I just kind of, I knew little bits about our birth story, like mine and my siblings' birth stories, but not much. And Mm -hmm. they were born in hospitals and stuff. But um, she always took a more natural approach to everything as far as medication and whatnot. So I just kind of grew up trusting that our bodies kind of know what they're doing and that they can, you know, fight off certain things. And if we allow them to work, unless there is something really wrong, you know, for the most yeah. part, our bodies just even fighting an the infection, they, yeah. they can figure it out. It's pretty amazing. And so I kind of just went into adulthood being like, all right, And I got married very young, so I didn't really have a ton of time to establish my own personal thoughts before I joined with another person. And we had to establish like, how are we going to raise our future children and and whatnot? But um, I remember just really trusting it. And when I became a doula, which is funny because I started attending births four years before I had my first baby, Mm. Um, no, three years, three years or two and a half, I don't even remember now. Um... But it's so funny, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have t- attend births without having their own baby. Sure, yeah. But the mm-hmm. it switched big time once after you had mm-hmm. big time. I mean, I would attend births and I'd I'd get it. But for some reason, the trust in your body process and just once I had it, I was like, oh, it just clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I was a I was an okay doula before.
0: Yeah.
2: But once I had my own babies, I'm like, I just my trust in birth, it doesn't waver. Yeah. Like I think that's one thing yeah. that I am, I bring to a birth room, is that mm-hmm. I really don't fear. Mm. Like I really trust the process, process. and you know what? Things don't always work out as planned. Yeah. But yeah. I will never bring a sense of fear to my clients. Yeah. Which I hope they appreciate and feel. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And Should I don't really, f- I don't feel like it's something that um my mother instilled in me or anything. It's just yeah. kind of just wired that way. Yeah. Um. I'm a well, very laid back person, and I feel like that just that part of my personality and the trust that I have in lots of different things just um, carries over into trusting birth in the process. And then yeah. when my own birth, I really think it benefited. Yeah. Well, it sounds
0: have... like your mother did influence you indirectly. Yeah. In that no, way. I'm sure she yeah. did without yeah. even meaning sure. to. Yeah. yeah I, I relate to that. I mean, my mom definitely did talk to us about birth and and influence me directly about birth, but she also had that broader and more indirect influence in in a similar way to your mom, just in kind of, you know, trusting your body, trusting nature, you know, allowing those things to work synergistically and, you know, like intervening as infrequently as possible in all things in life, you know, just kind of allowing things to take their own course. So I think that that has a a larger effect than sometimes we realize.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure having her have that mindset really made an effect and or made helped make me make the decision of where I was going to have my babies because I mm. knew that she yeah. would support it. Yeah. So there was never that question of, okay, if I choose a home birth, what is my mom or my dad going to think or yeah. what are, you know, I didn't even care because I knew yeah. that she would support that. And I think yeah. that's probably a really hard person for most people. If mom doesn't agree, then it's harder to make mm-hmm. those decisions. Yeah. So I'm really thankful that
1: yeah. I never
2: had to deal with that with her. Yeah. That can be here. I I
1: wanted to, ask you kind of how you got introduced to birth work the very first time and kind of what made you just go down the path of doula, especially with all the different kinds of work you have done since. Yeah. And it kind of made you stay in that role and, and continue to support women.
2: Yeah. It's funny. I was actually, when I started college, I was going to school to be a police officer, mm. which is like poor opposite. Um, and then I got married and I remember at the time we were dating, he was like, really don't want you to be a police officer. And I was like, okay. So I pulled out of that that, and then I was like, okay, well what's next? And birth was the other thing from a very young age. I remember in high school um, writing something about birth. I wish I had that, but it was a paper about midwives Mm -hmm. and I was like, maybe that's what I want to do. It was like police Mm -hmm. officer or midwife. Those were my two things my senior year. (laughs) I know it sounds really odd.
0: I have this great image in my head of like a
2: SNL like good doula, bad doula sketch. <laughs> but it's funny because it's so me because I have this total natural mentality, but I'm also really tough. Yeah. And so w- if you were to know me, you'd be like, that actually makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you could be either. Yeah. Um, and so I pulled out of that and then I kind of just, you know, I worked at a coffee shop and stuff and then I was like, gosh, I really want to do something else. And so I started going to school to do prerequisites for midwifery. And then, um, my husband started school and I was like, we can't both be doing school right now. It was just too much financially. It was just, there was no way. So I was like, okay. So I pulled out again of school and was like, but what can I do now? And so that's when I did research and found out about being a doula. I was like, really? I don't have to, you know,
0: go to school. yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't have to go to school forever for this. So, you know, I attended the workshop, um, Back then, I mean, this was 2006, so the only thing that I could even find was Dona. There was no other. Now there's, I mean, you can get certified a million different ways. Yeah. Back then, it was like you attend this workshop and then, you know, fill out the forms and get your experience signed off and whatnot. So I did all that and started attending births with whoever would let me. Mm -hmm. I I did it for free for a very long time, and I volunteered with um, PDX doulas up at OHSU, which was um, really heartbreaking and beautiful experience because they would yeah. call you up for moms who had nobody
0: yeah, and
2: majority of them were minorities who spoke no English. And so it was really, um, really hard to witness them being alone. And most of their cultures were like, you sit on your back. And so you'd try to offer things and you just see them suffering and yeah. they didn't really, um and they were alone or their husbands were watching soccer <laughs> mm-hmm. because culturally that's yeah. what you do. You don't, yeah. uh, and a lot of cultures still in Haiti, the men aren't there. Yeah. They don't watch the the women have um have babies. So it was really cool that OHSU did that. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of a uh, getting thrown into the trenches as far as birth work goes yeah. because yeah. I was called into kind of not ideal situations. I don't think I in those first two years I had, I attended maybe three births where it was like a loving couple who wanted to have a baby. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can relate to that. I did. Some work and I think after you do a couple too, I didn't do it through OHSU, but um I had done some for moms who were planning on um parenting their babies as teenagers or um giving them up for adoption. And it was like once you kind of do a few people, then people know you and they, you know, reach out to you. And I remember just thinking, you know, I I did a lot of driving that those first couple of years, like driving people to WIC appointments and driving people across the city to see the midwives and I, you know, I look back on that and it's a lot of why I think I went into nurse midwifery specifically, because I think that's where that patient population is going to be delivering and getting prenatal care. And it was something I realized I really enjoyed about that mm-hmm. early season of doula life where you're just kind of yeah. like, said, I will go to any birth that anyone will let me go to.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's like definitely. I have a it's hard to, a yeah. yeah, it's hard to get, it's hard to weasel your way into birth sometimes. <laughs> Especially when you're young and you haven't had a baby. It's like, yeah. what do I have totally. to offer you? I don't yep. know. Can I come? Yeah. Free support. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's great that there's there's opportunities like that for for women. Who, well, and
0: since 2006 till now, there's so much more awareness oh my about gosh. birth support and about doulas. So it's it's easier now to... You know, to convince someone that they could benefit from your oh, services yeah. than it was back then, I'm no, sure. I
2: would, I would, people would be like, what do you do? And I'd say, I'd say the word, and they was like, deer in the headlights. They're like, what? Yeah. How do you even say that? What does that mean? Like, it was a foreign word Yeah. when I first started. And then now everyone knows what yeah. it is. Which and is especially
0: just, where, you know, well, in, in, in a like Portland. Yeah. But but certainly, it, I mean, awareness has grown across the board, not yeah. just in, in places like Portland. So it's, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. Um, and then I do it, I do it in a different way though. A lot of people, you know, there are full-time doulas or there's, um, people that there's a lot of agencies now and Mm -hmm. I don't even advertise. I have a website and I do nothing with it. Mm -hmm. I update, like I update it every once in a while if there's a life change that needs to be updated on there. But, um, I really like kind of just having people come to me word of mouth. Yeah. And so anyone who contacts me, it's because someone told them about me and that yeah. we would be a good match or that they had me and it was beneficial to them. And so I feel like every birth I attend is really special mm. because they sought me out for me. Yeah. And so, um, it also keeps my schedule more sane. More manageable. Yeah. Because you have Three Three children. children. (laughs) I mean that's not. Yeah, I'm always blown away by um, women who are working at agencies and are full time doula's Mm -hmm. because I mean they're tending three births back to back. Yeah, and I'm like, how do you even do it? Because I won't even take more than one birth a month. Yeah, and that's and I don't even take a monthly. But I I try to stretch them out because I'm like, I need some time to either not be on call or I need to be able to have some time in between births because like you guys know, you can be gone for 36 hours. Yeah. And so I just think my husband would suffer greatly.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And I don't think his work would allow him to come home every time I was like, mom's in labor.
0: Well, now you have the younger baby again. So you're still... It's not like you have. So you have, you have a nine-year-old, uh, almost six-year-old, yeah. and then Bear is how old? He
2: is 14 months.
0: Okay. So. Yeah, and I
2: started attending births when he was six months, which yeah. is f- way earlier than I did with my girls. Yeah. I took a lot of time off. I mean, I did pretty much weaned them before I attended births again. Yeah. But with him, people started contacting me, and I was just like, should I do this? Should I not? And mm-hmm. He was my one baby that would take a bottle, so I was like, well, maybe I can, and yeah, it just worked out. I would pump in the nurse's lounge and yeah. or in the bathroom, and...
0: Yeah, I've done, I've only done one since Etni has been born and it was when she was like four and a half months old and it was, it was the same, but she actually hadn't taken a bottle yet mm. at that point.
2: Yeah, I couldn't have with my girls. They wouldn't, yeah. I would, they would not take a bottle. So mm-hmm. there was just, it was no option. So I pretty much froze my site so people couldn't contact me because I didn't yeah. want to have to say no. And right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So tell us about your third
2: birth. Was it, yeah. was it three minutes long? Well, yeah. <laughs> I expected it. Um, I feel like going into my third birth, I had a bit more anxiety just because I was fearful at how fast it would go. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if I had a, a 60 minute labor, is this one going to be 30 minutes? And is it going to happen in my car? Is it going to happen when I'm at the grocery store? I was really towards the end, a little bit anxious about that. Yeah. And we had a lot of plans and, you know, um, the midwives would, you know, were talking to me about, you know, this is how you resuscitate a baby if you need to. And just the things that if I got caught off guard and something were to happen and they weren't going to get to me and there was an issue, I would be prepared. Because yeah. I remember being like, gosh. And my midwife, um, my only midwife at the time, lived in Dundee. And so I am I was in Beaverton and it was a 45-minute drive. And I was like, we're cutting it close. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I asked all the apprentices. I went into Andalus and I was like, I asked every apprentice. I was like, "Where do you live?" And they'd be like, "Oh, I live in Salem." I was like, "No," and then they'd be like, oh, "I live in, you know, Gresham." I'm like, "No," and then finally, I found one that lived in Tigard. I'm like, "Will you be at my birth?" Because <laughs> I just wanted to know someone was going to be there, even though yeah. I, like I said, I trust the process a hundred percent. I still didn't want to have a planned unattended home birth, um, just yeah. because if something were to go wrong, like I want someone skilled. Yeah. Um. And and you're
0: basing this on the data that you have that you obviously have babies quite quickly yeah. and you should be planning for that to happen yeah. again.
2: Yes. Um, so this baby, my other two were, well, so I had one two weeks, about two weeks early. And then my daughter, do- my second daughter came two days before her due date. And so this baby, I was like, and I didn't know what the gender of this one was. So I was like, this one's holding on a little bit longer. And it's funny cause he came on his due date, which felt late to me mm-hmm. because you know, I feel like every day after 38 weeks, I was like, oh, I'm late. Why isn't this baby here? And then once I hit, you know, 39 weeks, four days, like my second daughter, I'm like, oh, I'm really late. What's wrong with this baby? (laughs) So I remember going into it, which is so funny, but I think when it's, you can attend a million births and when you're in that position, it's completely different. And how many times I've told mamas to hold off, you know, you're fine. Baby will come. I'm like, when is this baby coming? Yeah. And so my, um, due date was August 2nd and went to bed and at around 12:30 I felt a contraction I was like huh okay not much And it. you'd
0: never had you'd both times you'd had your water, water break, break before yeah. so I had any. never
2: had a contraction prior to that and so yeah. I was like oh that was weird and uh, I had a couple contractions in, in the early early mornings of that morning um and then around I remember around one forty five waking up and being like okay I think I'm actually maybe in labor mm. I don't know cuz I've never experienced this before um and I had texted I had texted my birth team right then um and said okay I'm having some contractions that feel like they could be real contractions can you come now cuz I was just so nervous that it was going to go really fast um and so they all headed over and this time was totally different I had a kind of, I mean, different in this. I was, was going to say I had a really normal labor, but it was three hours. But mm-hmm. to me, that was really like yeah. normal and manageable. And it wasn't intense like my first. Um, it was kind of, I warmed up to it. I filled my birth tub by myself. I heated up pots of water on the stove and would have contractions. I felt like, um, I felt like I was reading the birth stories that you always mm. read, You know, like an oh, IMA yeah. one where it was like, you're in your house and you're making tea and right. it was just so different. Like I was walking through my house and I remember my birth team coming and being like, after the fact, I read all my birth notes and they were, and they were like, she doesn't appear to be in labor because <laughs> I was so, they were like, Oh, was this a false alarm? Yeah. Um, and also your water hadn't broken. No, no. And so, you know, I climbed into the birth tub at around 3am after we got it full, um, completely full and my birth team fell asleep on my couch I mean, I, one of them was snoring and they just went right back <laughs> to bed because they're like, this could happen tomorrow, you know, yeah. during the day, we don't know. So we're going to sleep. So I climbed into my bathtub around three o'clock and labored. It was m- totally manageable, more intense than my second, I would say. Um, but completely, completely manageable. And then, um, with all my babies, I like to, the best way for me to feel progress is to actually reach inside and feel my baby. Yeah. So I would reach in and be like, okay, head's still pretty far up. And then I would, you know, I would, I would wait a little bit and then reach in again and be like, okay, baby's coming down. And I feel like that was, and I encourage a lot of my moms to do that too, if they're comfortable. I'm like, you should reach in and feel, I'm like, you would be surprised, you know, if I feel like it's close, Yeah. not if I think they're like a five, Right. (laughs) but it's always amazing if they can reach in and be like, Oh my goodness. Cause the body awareness of just like, you're yeah. pushing that baby down. And when you push and you can feel that head come down, it's like, it's the best motivation there is. Yeah. And so yeah. with this baby, my water was still intact. So I had this buffer, which was completely foreign to me. And so I was pushing down and then, so I feel like my contraction started around 2.30 and then he was born at 5.19. And so around 5.00 AM, I felt like I was pushing. I was like, okay. And I so I hollered at my midwives. I'm like, I'm starting to push. They're like, we know. Cause they could hear it in in um my moaning and whatnot. And just um and then I was like, Yeah, I feel his head. It's pretty close. And then I was and then as I started feeling, I was like, That's not his head. It was my bag of waters, but I'd never mm-hmm. felt that before. Right. So that whole time I'm like, and all of a sudden I'm pushing, I'm like, that is bouncy. That's not mm-hmm. a head. And so I didn't feel like I could push him out with it intact. And so I I remember looking up at my midwife and being like, I don't like the feeling of this. Like, I don't want to push out this bag of water. When is it going to break? And she's like, it might not. She's like, you could do it yourself. And so I, I like, I don't like the idea of someone doing something to me, but mm-hmm. I could do it to myself. And yeah. so I stuck my finger in and nicked it with my nail and it popped immediately. And the next contraction, his head was out. Huh, and sure. then with the next one, his body. And so three hours after... I w- I remember looking at the clock. So it was three hours after I was like, okay, I'm in labor. Mm. So s- super straightforward. I would say easy as well.
0: Yeah.
2: More intense than the second, not pain-free. Yeah. But super straightforward and really great birth. Yeah. you hey, were your like...
1: kid- kiddos for that one?
2: So yeah. this one is, uh, I've, I'm kind of disappointed in this one because they were asleep. <laughs> I know afterwards I was like, we should have woken them up. But, um, it was five in the morning the and I figured yeah. if they woke up, that'd be great. But I remember Andy, my husband being like, do you want me to go get them? And I was like, no, it's fine. Cause yeah. I felt like they, I felt like I had to focus through my contractions and that it would be a distraction. Yeah. And I'm like, if they wake up, but it was, it's a cute story in itself though. And I feel like their memory is they woke up to a baby brother. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't
0: disappointed that no, they did not
2: at all. Um, And I kind of thought they might be, especially my Mm -hmm. older one, because we had talked a lot about it. Yeah. Um, but it was fun because by the time I'm, I'm thankful that it happened the way it did. I would, if they were going to be there, I'd want them to be there the whole time and not come right after he was born, Mm. because as you know, a birth tub can be once you deliver the placenta, it can be quite a shock, especially to a five and seven year old or you know however old they were. Um, so they came when, when they woke up, I was in my bed and they came in all groggy and I was like, you have a baby brother. And that was the big thing because we didn't know. And they're two girls. So it was a big deal. And so they woke up to a baby brother. They crawled right into bed with me and they thought it was awesome. So.
0: Yeah. My son was disappointed that he didn't get to be at his sister's birth because that was the plan. And then we just, it just was really evident to me that that was not gonna work yeah sort of just right at the end so I mean he he's not like heartbroken about it (laughs) but he has expressed a number of times that
2: you know well why couldn't I be there but especially if you've set it up to be you're going to be there right totally that's hard on anybody yeah
0: but he was able to um be there right after yeah like right after she was born which was perfect yeah she was born you know just at the right time that He, you know, if if she'd been born at midnight or something, I would have let him sleep till the morning. But he was, she was born right before eight o'clock. So we just, he just stayed up for a couple hours. And
2: yeah. 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 I have,
0: I have slight regret, slight regret. But yeah, (laughs) I don't have regret because I know it was the right choice for me in labor, but I have like, I'm disappointed, I guess. Yeah. I'm disappointed that he also disappointed that he wasn't able to be there because I do think it would have been
2: just a, a cool experience but I know that it was the right choice totally. for me, and I feel like it worked out yeah. probably the way it should have and who knows what kind of energy they would have brought to the room and how yeah. that might have disrupted things right but yeah. being in the work that we are in and we're always talking about babies in Haiti and all sorts of things it would have been really precious for them to both be there and especially yes. my younger one hadn't seen a birth before right. so it would, been, it would have been good stories and they're old enough to remember yeah you remember when you're five and, yes. and almost eight Totally, when you see a birth, so
0: yeah, but yeah, someday. someday Are you gonna have more kids? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm
2: done. <laughs> he he was a last minute decision. Definitive. Yeah, he was. We were done at two. Yeah, yeah. And then my father in law passed away, and then right when he was when he passed away, we started you know reflecting on what's important in life, and we had to really come to terms with the fact that we could possibly have three girls as well. Mm-hmm. So. When we got to that, when we started having the conversation, I had to say to my husband, are you okay if this is a girl? Like our track yeah. record right now is girls. And he yeah. finally got to the point where he was like, yes, I can do it if it's a girl. And I was like, all right. Yeah. yeah. Which that's a funny story too, because I mean, my, my daughter was four and a half and we, are, we were done. And I remember going into um, a midwife friend to have her take my IUD out after we made the decision. And I walked into the birth center and I saw the pictures of the babies on the wall and I left. Mm. And she was like, where are you? I had an appointment with her. And I was like, I can't do it because mm. I was so far removed. Yeah. I'm like, I can't start over. And it's yeah. not even like my baby was 10 or 15. It She was right. four. But to me, it was like I had just gotten to the easy stage and I had to start over. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean,
0: the, there's challenges no matter how you do it. But having older, more independent kids mm-hmm. does really make it hard. Aiden was seven and a half when Etney was born. Yeah. And you know it's hard to go back
2: it really really it, is. it really is pressing the reset button in yeah. a significant way and my yeah. do- my both my girls are in school full time now and so i would be lying if i said it hasn't crossed my mind gosh life would be so different if you weren't here with me right now yeah. like i would have, have all this time to do whatever i want yeah i mean i'm so glad he's here he's yeah he's he looks com- like a just a dream oh dreamboat. yeah he's completed our family so well and the easiest baby on the planet yeah so Etna is the easiest baby too. Yes. I know. He makes me want to have more, right. but I don't want more. <laughs> <I'm Yes>. done.
1: <laughs> well, Echo, so, could you talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing now with the project in Haiti and kind of what's going on with um, the midwives down there, like things you're
2: excited about, our listeners might want
1: to know about.
2: Yeah. So we, do take volunteers so if anyone's listening who has a skill to offer or even if you don't like um I'm taking a team down in June um of 2018 so we've got some time but um I'm taking a team down um just to kind of I'm going to kind of teach them through doula skills how to love on these women because these are like a team of moms who have no medical experience but have the heart to go and so Mm -hmm. um just to you know even just massage these women's feet as they these pregnant mamas walk sometimes two hours to our Mm. birth center for prenatal care and their feet are, you know, we're tired and swollen just from walking to our car and to our appointments. And so these poor mamas, um, I just want these women to kind of go and just love on them, whether it means rub their shoulders, rub their feet, just have like good healthy touch. And um, so they're going to, there's opportunities to come and volunteer in the clinic in that capacity. Or if you have, um uh, or if you're a medical assistant or a nurse or a student or um midwifery student we take there's there's a role for everybody mm. um to come down and volunteer um as long as you're comfortable in the environment the Haitian midwives are really excited and willing to teach um but you have to have the mindset of I'm coming down to learn which yeah. i think is um a shift from the the savior complex that i think a lot of people sometimes have myself included the first time I ever went to a developing country. It's like, Oh, I'm going to come down and help you. Like, what can I do for you instead of, Oh my gosh, what can I learn from you? Mm -hmm. And so if you go down there with the right mentality, it's a really um, amazing thing. Um, so yeah, the, the birth center, um, it's, it runs itself. Basically We, we have a full Haitian staff and it just keeps going and, um, we have a midwifery school happening right now, and I think we have five Haitian students in that. And um, there's plenty of opportunities to um, to give. Yeah, we're we're unique. We're a unique nonprofit in the sense that a hundred percent of money that comes into us goes straight to Haiti. We don't have any paid staff here in the U.S. We don't have any American paid staff. We really believe it. Or do we simply do it just to... Just,
0: you're just a volunteer as well.
2: Um, yes. There's been times where I've been paid, but it's been by a completely different organization. Okay. Um, so never through donations. Um, or So any money that is given to Mama Baby Haiti, which is the name of it, goes straight there, which is really cool because there's a lot of nonprofits, which understandably so, you need a staff and you need right. an office. Yeah. Like it makes a hundred... expenses. Yeah. It, I mean, that's totally understandable. We've managed to make it work without having any of that. And mm-hmm. so w- we can say with, you know, the most integrity that every penny goes to Haiti yeah. and it does. Um, um, it goes towards uh, really the, our expenses in Haiti is those midwife salaries. Yeah. Um, which if you were to, if you were to, if I were to tell you the numbers, you'd be shocked at what, uh, someone in, in Haiti makes, but, um, it's not much yeah. Um we would love to be able to pay them far above and beyond what we do, but it it takes funding so we're mm-hmm. slowly just trying to build it up to consistent um funding where we can monthly just pay for our birth center rent and our midwives and our director down there and
0: supplies and supplies and, and food yeah. and
2: we have a lot of our volunteers all of our um volunteers from America we have them fill up duffel bags and take down medical supplies and whatever they can gather mm-hmm. cuz we can't really sh- you can't send like a FedEx box to Haiti. Yeah, It's very different. If we want to send stuff, anything large, we have to ship to Hollywood, Florida, and then it has to get on a boat and then it has to sit in customs for a few months. So it's very tricky to get supplies there. So we either make do with what we have there in Haiti and can purchase there, or we have volunteers fill up bags and And travel and travel with them. Yeah. Yeah. Which still sometimes get confiscated by customs, but
0: yeah, oh, that that's just so frustrating. It's
2: just the nature of working in a developing country. There's all sorts yes. of things going on down there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we'll share a link to the work that you're doing so that people can check out. Yeah, and if they go they to the website, involved. there's
2: a there's a really sweet four minute video on the homepage that nice. um, follows a mom's journey, kind of what it looks like to yeah. just be pregnant and give birth in Haiti, and it's really eye opening. And yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That'll be great for people to check out. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for the work that you do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I've always had a huge heart for um, refugees and people of other cultures. I just love other cultures in general. So when I got this opportunity, I just jumped on it because I really, well, I really believe that no mother or baby should die. Yeah. for, For... Because of the simple things, you know, there's big things where if a crazy anomaly happens here in the States too, some things just happen. Some things are unavoidable. Totally. But they should not die because they didn't have clean water and they should not die because they didn't have, you know, something to stop a seizure or this, you know, or we've had, we had a mom once that came in with a, she had a very disformed, like crooked pelvis and she was all hunched over and she um, Jennifer who started the nonprofit, she took one look at her. She happened to be there and she was like, this woman's not going to be able to birth this baby. Mm -hmm. Like she was, it just wasn't. She, um, she said she looked at her and she was like, Oh my goodness. And she was in early labor. And so she drove her to the hospital and paid the $200 for the C-section. Right. Cause that was the, that's the difference between life and death there. It's like, we will provide it for you or we have, um, you know, land cruises that we've transformed into ambulances where we transport women to the hospital if there is a need. Because um, there is stuff, just like here in the States, there is stuff that is outside of right your scope of practice. And so our midwives can only do so much. Yeah. Um. So there is needs for transports. And preeclampsia is a big thing down there. Mm-hmm. And it's a big killer. Yeah. 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 We have transported many women seizing in the back of ambulances because they... They didn't have prenatal care. They had no one to catch it until they come in and yeah. their blood pressure's through the roof and all of a sudden they're having a seizure. Yeah. 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 Well,
0: it's such important work. Yeah. Yeah, and I love I love the model of how you guys are doing it. So it's
2: really yeah. inspiring. Yeah, I feel like it's really um, special to be a part of, mm-hmm. especially with that model of just it's all for empowering them. Empowering
0: those women. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: and empowering Haitians to serve Haitians. Yeah. We could, you know, we could go down there and – and our skills are needed as well, but we're now giving Haitian women a way to provide for their families. Yeah. And we have big dreams. We want to buy land and um, build our own birth center and have living quarters for our midwives and their families so they're not separated. Like, we have such long-term goals that eventually, hopefully, we can get grants and funding for. But yeah, I'm really trying to change the, the economic, like, views of it all, too. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many yeah. factors that goes into poverty And when you have, you know, a very poor and corrupt country, they're not caring for their people. And so we want to empower, teach them the skills. They're not even teaching them the skills. They don't know how to do certain things, even though they're highly intelligent people. They just have never been given the opportunity to learn certain things. And so we would love for our prenatal, uh, our moms coming in for prenatal care to also learn gardening and we'll have a sustainable garden there or sewing or something. So when those babies come, they have their own micro business and they can provide Mm -hmm. for their family. Yeah. Because many of them do not have any, any way to support themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's just so much power in that, in a way it's like creating a safe haven for a captive audience. It's like women are going to have babies and having an alternative where they can also learn to be empowered by their abilities. Yeah. To be, to be proud of what, you know, maybe it can start with birth, be proud of themselves for giving birth and be proud of taking care of their baby and then transfer that inspiration into learning to earn, you know, like you're saying, earn money for themselves or find skills in which to become experts. And it's hard to imagine, you know, I grew up in a very supportive family who told me I can do anything I want and that the world is my oyster. You know, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people in circumstances like in Haiti, it's just kind
2: of like, this is the life I've been given. And a lot of them are really young.
1: Mm-hmm. I've seen
2: yeah. so so many moms that are coming in and they're 13, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, how are you going to do this? But... They are a warm weather culture where they all it's it's the village, yeah,
0: it's extended they don't family. hide themselves in a
2: house, so yeah, in a yeah, sense, totally. they have actually a bigger support system than we might have here, yeah,
0: right so yeah,
2: but they start young yeah. and they have babies till they're quite old as well,
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 so echo kind of taking into consideration all of your own birth experiences, your birth work, like even your your work with this organization, if you were going to, you were going to share with a mom who was pregnant and going to have a baby, what would be the the one thing or the things that you would say to them to help them have confidence in their body?
2: Uh, well, I feel like I have this conversation a lot, actually, Um, when I meet with moms for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's just, I just try to remind them that our bodies were meant for this. I mean, there's always going to be things that can happen or you know there's always anomalies and everything but for the most part healthy moms have healthy babies and I really believe that you unless you have a condition like gestational diabetes or or something of the sort that you you don't grow a baby you won't get you can't give birth to and so just Mm -hmm. instilling in them the belief that they are fully capable and kind of just trying to I try to rub off my sense of trusting the process and no fear onto them Mm -hmm. um so I, I feel like the biggest advice is just trust that your body can do this, and really yeah. surround yourself with positive birth stories yeah. and positive people. And i t- I tell people all the time, like, who do you have in your life right now that maybe is making you second guess that you can do this? And oh. then usually they'll name they know who they know who that is. Yeah. And then I say, maybe avoid that person for a bit. Yeah. Like if you're thirty five weeks pregnant and you're hanging out with somebody, and for the next five weeks, who's going to tell you you can't do this? And if you, let's say you want an unmedicated birth and, and they're saying, no, oh, no, 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 you can't do it. It's, it hurts so bad. Or I tried and I couldn't just surround yourself with the people that believe in the birth you want is yeah. my big mm-hmm. thing too, is because all those voices, yeah, they really add up into second guessing yourself. And I really feel like if you go into a labor with high anxiety, it holds you back big time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think it's, it's just the, the, you know, the, who you surround yourself with is such, such good advice. And you obviously can't like, you know, not talk to your mother-in-law the (laughs) entire time you're pregnant or, you know, there, there's like limitations on, on how much you can control who's in your life, but you can, there are, there are many, many relationships that you can, you know, sort of, you know, adapt during that time. But you can,
2: you, you can't even say to your mother-in-law, Hey,
0: we're not going to talk about
2: it. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not talk about that. Like you are allowed to set up those
0: boundaries, those boundaries that
2: say, you know, and you're not the person I want to talk about this with. If it has to do with labor and birth and you don't agree with my decision, that topic's off the table.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think that's okay to put those boundaries. They might not respect them, but I think it's okay to put them out there. So at least you feel like you've done what you can do to kind of protect your mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Boundaries. <laughs> they're, they're Not good. the easiest subject. No, <laughs> no, that's a whole other podcast. Yes. We'll have you come back for that one. <laughs> um That's thank you so much for for sharing yeah, your stories you. with us. Yeah, I think it is just such a such an important. they're such important experiences to share with women because you know we do we hear so much of the you know the things that that go this way and go that, and it's good to be reminded that that our bodies know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I feel guilty actually. Because, mm. you know, you hear about like, you know, survivors guilt, all these different things and it's yeah. like I used to I have a lot of friends that have had really hard experiences and then yeah. it's like I feel like I can't talk about it with yeah. them because it's like I'll just sit over here quietly because the last totally. thing you want to do is be like, Oh, mine were perfect. Right. <laughs> or, and we're so I easy know, or <laughs> but
1: I do I do think it's such a valuable voice. And I, I tell I my know. friends who've had those kinds of experiences and Sometimes people feel like that was their experience. And then on paper I would go, like, actually yours is super hard. It's even just how you feel about your labors, like whether or not a totally. hundred so hours long. There's, so, there's so many factors
2: of that. Long. It's my personality, it's how I view it. Like, yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think what so much of what mother birth is about is about everyone being able to tell their story. So whether yeah. you did have a really difficult or in some cases traumatic experience or whether things went really well, you had a very yeah. positive experience. Um you know, we, we all need to be able to tell those stories. And I think that a big part of what you just talked about is, you know, if you're in labor, like you or sorry, if you're pregnant, like you need to be surrounding yourself with those positive experiences. And we don't want women who have positive experiences to feel like they can't share because, you know, their experiences may be, you know, not the same as everyone else's or, you know, it's, it's kind of like sometimes in in this culture where we're we're working so hard to normalize the variation of experience that women have and we want people to be able to you know to talk about their trauma and be able to talk about these experiences that can have the unintended effect of like you said making women who have normal positive healthy experiences feel like ooh, i better not make people feel bad yeah (laughs) you
2: know so yeah if anything i hope it helps people just in the Try to eliminate the fear in the, fr- in the forefront before they have babies. Right. To like, encourage them. Yeah. This like, is okay, this is possible. Yeah. Like, I don't only have to hear scary traumatic births. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Well, we can't wait to share your
0: story for that very reason. So <laughs> thank you so much, Echo. Yeah, of we're, course. Thanks glad for having me. that you me. came in
1: today. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth Today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe
0: to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow.
1: I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.